Uh, We just read, again, a long passage, Mark chapter 6. We're in the middle of a series in the Gospel of Mark called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And you heard a lot, and I know we're all moving around still, but you heard a lot. Uh, The thread that you heard through all of those different events in that passage was opposition. A thread of opposition that ties all these events together. That's why we're doing them together. And here's what I know. Uh, I'm a sports fan. Maybe some of you are sports fans. Uh, Some of you may not be, but I guarantee you all of us at some point in our lives have been to a sporting event, right? And at a sporting event, just kind of common knowledge, you always have a home team and you always have a what? A visiting team, away team, right? And I know for me in Arizona, I'm always the visiting team. Uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I know. Hold your applause. Hold your applause for later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't really choose it. It chose me, you know, God's sovereign, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I have a good friend who is an Arizona Cardinals fan. And he, he has season tickets, does the whole deal. And he invites me to go uh, to the Cardinals games when the Cowboys are here in town. Very gracious guy. If you have season tickets and want to do the same, you know, I will gladly accept them. Um, but he invites me to go. And this last season, I went with him and uh, the Cowboys were crushing it. Uh, it was not going well for the Cardinals, and about halfway through, you can really sense that, and I got my Cowboys gear on, not ashamed of the Cowboys, right? And, but I'm in the Arizona Cardinals land, and so I'm getting up cheering, and about halfway through, I'm like, this is not going to go well for my friend who gave me the ticket and was so gracious to me, right? And I kind of jokingly in the moment say, you know, um, you might be making me walk home after this. This is not going well. Now, here's a key distinction. He was not just a friend, but I'm also his pastor. And so uh, he joked of like, yeah, that'd be kind of crazy if I made my pastor walk home, right? And I was like, yeah, but you're not going to do I mean, just let's move on, right? Um, And then a little bit later, he got really excited about this and was texting with his wife and was like, yeah, Tani, like, what if I made pastor walk home today? It's not going so well. And I'm just like, dude, get off this walking home thing. But, but in that moment, and we won, go Cowboys, we won, but I felt what it feels like to be the visiting team, right? Even with my buddy, right? He didn't make me walk home. The story ended well. We all hung out later. But, but I felt what it feels like to be the visiting team. Some of you have played sports or been in a sporting event. You know what it feels like to be the visiting team. Now, as you look at our world, as you look at Christianity, as you look at America, no matter what you really think about Christian nation or not, or there's a lot of people in our world who are Christians, or there's a lot of people who aren't Christians. Whatever you think about our world, whatever you think about America, here's the reality. We are, as Christians, we're the visiting team. You can see that as you look at our culture and where it's going and all those types of things, and you look at the the Bible and the beliefs of the Bible, you can look at those and and sort of put them up against each other and be like, okay, yeah, we are are the visiting team. But not only that, we're the visiting team because we are not American citizens, but we are kingdom citizens first and foremost. So this is not our home. You know that, right? So in some sense, all of us are the visiting team if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And so here's what that means. At some point in your life, if you follow Jesus and you're the visiting team, you're going to get opposed. You're going to get rejected. And so today, we see that, that thread of opposition throughout this passage. The disciples experience it. Jesus experiences it. We are going to experience it because we're the visiting team. How do we respond to it? That's what we're going to look at today. So Mark 6, if you didn't already, open up your Bible. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. Just to set this up, Jesus and the disciples have not been experiencing the effects of being the visiting team up until this point. 
right? If you've been with us, you know they've been, to continue with the sports analogy, they've been hitting home runs, right? They just got off uh, calming a storm, healing a Satan demon-possessed person, raising a little girl from death to life, right? just knocking it right out of the park. The disciples are watching this, Jesus on the scene, experiencing all this victory, and this is the first time where they get some pushback. So that's where we land in verse 1 of Mark chapter 6. Jesus, look at the verse, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. The disciples are with him. He says he's teaching in the synagogue. Verse 2 says, many were astonished, amazed. And notice this, they are. They're flipping out here. They're, they're saying things like, hey, where does he get this stuff? Where does he get this wisdom? I love the way the message uh, translation puts this. They say, we had no idea he was this good. <laughs> now, now remember, where is he at? His hometown. All of you have a hometown. You go back home, see family and friends that knew you when you were just a wee little guy. And they like to rub that in, don't they? I, I remember you, and you and when you were in diapers. I remember when you did this and did that. And, and that's Jesus for them. And so Jesus, Son of God, all that kind of stuff, they don't really grasp all this at that moment. So they're just like, who is this guy? I didn't realize he was this good. I heard some things, but I didn't realize. And so they're astonished and amazed, but that doesn't last long. Look at verse 3. They moved from astonished to offended. It says they took offense at him. They start to say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's kid? I mean, we know his brothers and sisters. We, we did watch them grow up, and here he shows up in the synagogue teaching the word of God and saying all these profound things. Isn't he just a carpenter? And it says they take offense at him. Now, there's two things I want you to see here. One is the true humanity and therefore empathy of Jesus. Right, Hebrews chapter 4, great verse that talks about that Jesus was tempted in every way so he can empathize with you and me. He experienced what it was like to be you. So we can approach him with, a thr with the throne of grace with confidence, is what it says. And Jesus empathizes with us. That's not just a cute saying in Hebrews chapter 4. We see it in a very vivid way here with his hometown, with his old friends, and with his family. Right? We can relate to Jesus. He can relate to us, and we see it just in this moment because all of us, some of us, can't imagine, don't look around, but just close your eyes and imagine a crazy family. I know, it's hard to imagine, but like, imagine crazy friends from your hometown, right? Don't look around if your family's sitting next to you. But all of us can kind of imagine somewhere out there, somebody having some crazy family and friends, and we know the, the drama that comes with that. We know the conflict that comes with that, the awkwardness, the insecurity that comes with that. Jesus did too. The Son of God, God in the flesh, walking amongst them, his family, his friends who are going to get written about for all of history, the people that should have been the most close to Jesus, tight with Jesus, they're his family. Imagine if the Son of God was your family, was your bro. I mean, that's like VIP to a whole nother level, right? And yet, it's awkward. It's insecure. There's conflict. They try to bring him down a notch. Who, who do you think you are? And they try to bring him down. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. We say that a lot. It's like a doctrine, a theology. Listen, you need to, that should encourage you. Next time you're hanging out with your crazy family, remember, Jesus has been there. 
He knows what it's like. He can empathize with you. The second thing I want you to see is the scandalous nature of the gospel. When it says they took offense, that that word offense literally is the word scandal. Here's the reality. Is that the gospel, it's good news. Amen? It's the love of God coming down to earth to live the perfect life that you could not, to die the death you deserved in your place for your sin, to rise again in victory over sin, Satan, sin, uh, sin, Satan, death in the grave. And when you put your trust in him, you get to know Jesus, be accepted and forgiven forever. It's good news. But it's also some difficult news for us to hear at times. You think about the person on this side of the aisle who is... Um, who's bad off and knows they're a sinner but just doesn't care and is living the, the, the American dream and pursuing their career and, and getting all the money uh, they can have and just thinks he's bulletproof or she's bulletproof. And you go to that person and say, hey, I want to share the gospel with you. Here, here's the deal. God created everything to be good, but guess what? Sin entered the world and it ruined everything. It distorted everything, destroyed everything. And so all this good that you think you're pursuing in life, all the pleasures you think you're pursuing in life, hey, guess what? You need Jesus. And that person in that moment who makes 90K a year and has all the stuff and is doing whatever seems pleasurable to him or her, that person in that moment, you say, you need Jesus? They're like, I don't need anything. You see my house? See my car? I, I, I don't need anything. And guess what? That is offensive to that person. Have you tried that? It's offensive. I, I don't need something. You mean like the crutch that you have? I don't need that. But then on the other side of the aisle, you have the religious person, the person that grew up in church, born in a pew, and does all the, the Sunday activities, reads their Bible, moral, good person, all those types of things. You go to that person, and you say, hey, God created the earth of sin, disrupted it. Jesus came, and you need Jesus. And they're like, don't you see my list? I mean, I go to church every Sunday. I even dress up nice. I read my Bible. I go through all the rituals. Doesn't that count? And you're saying now I'm freely forgiven by Jesus. It's grace, unmerited favor. Like, what about all this? That's offensive to me. You're saying what I do don't, doesn't matter? Listen, the gospel's good news, but it's also offensive news. To people on both sides of the aisle. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I preach this for a living, and I get that. Right? It's offensive. And so what you see in this moment is Jesus, son of God, should be welcomed in with a banquet, but he's not. He's questioned and belittled by his own family and friends because the gospel is offensive. Verse 5, this is affecting the ministry. Look at the verse. Mark says he can't do any mighty works. But then I love how Mark puts it. He says, except lay hands on people and heal them. Like that's just a side note. You know, no mighty works, just healing people. Um, but it is. It's affecting what's going on in the ministry. And, and so here's a takeaway for us from this, is that if Jesus, the Son of God, was questioned, belittled, criticized, opposed, and you follow Jesus, you will be too. Jesus, the Son of God, was opposed. If you follow him, you will be too. And some of you, you're like, I know. I've recently come to follow Jesus. He's changed my life, and I've gone back to my hometown, literally or figuratively. I've gone back to my job, my queue, my my friends that I used to roll with, my family, even my spouse, and I'm different now. And as I start to talk to them, they don't always like that. 
And maybe they ask you, like, hey, what are you, what are you doing for the weekend? You're like, I'm kind of scared to say. You're like, I'm going to church. And they're like, what? Church? Like, yeah, I'm going to church. And they're like, is that like a club, like a new club, the church? Sounds cool. Can we come? <laughs> and, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to church. And they're like, you? You go to church? They let you in? They know what you've done? And then you don't only just go to church, but you start following Jesus. Like, it becomes a radical thing in your life. And you start serving. You give your time, talent, and treasure. You, you start taking away from just pleasing yourself. You start to serve others with that. And people start looking at you like, you're, you're like a leader in the church? You're, you're proclaiming the gospel? I mean, bro, remember when we were 18 and we stole that thing? Like, they know your past. I remember yesterday when you said, and, and they start trying to just bring you down a little bit, right? And maybe they don't make fun of you directly or just ridicule you or persecute you in the way we would think, but you experience some opposition. And guess what? You get that because Jesus got that. And that's part of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is that some people won't think that's awesome right away. The second thing is sometimes the people who know you the best will oppose you the most. And maybe some of you, the hardest thing in your life is that good friend, best friend. You're following Jesus, they're not, and you wrestle with that all the time. You're following Jesus, your spouse stays at home. You're following Jesus, you say, hey, let's take the family to church, and your spouse is like, I don't know, why don't we watch the game, why don't we just stay at home, I don't wanna do that. And for some of you, you feel this. This is a real thing in your life. Some of the people that are closest to you oppose you the most. And listen, Jesus can relate to that. The Jesus you follow who calmed the storms, who cast out demons, and who raised little girls from the dead, Jesus was also fully human. And he says in that moment, I can relate. I went home, son of God, and nobody threw a party. In fact, they just questioned me. So the Jesus you follow, maybe you think you're alone in this, you're not. Maybe you think, I'm the only one, I'm the only Christian, like none of my friends, my, my family. It's so hard to do this by myself. You're not by yourself. You're with Jesus. And that's the right side to be on, right? God in the flesh. And you're with God's church. But we will experience opposition, and sometimes it will start at home. But it doesn't just stay at home. It goes away from home. And that's what we see in the next part of the text. Look at it with me. Verse 7. Jesus calls the 12 and begins to send them out. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. He, he charges them not to take a lot for their journey. No, no bread, no bag, no money in their mouths, just sandals, put on two tunics. And to not put on two tunics, just have one tu tunic, one undergarment. He says to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there. Stay there till you depart from there. Make yourself at home there. But, verse 11, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out. They proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons, anointed people with oil, and many who were sick were healed. Now, I want you to notice a few things. Jesus is experiencing some opposition. First time, lots of great things have been happening. Now people are starting to question him. It starts with the people at home. And Jesus is going to allow his disciples into this. He's going to allow them to share in his sufferings. You see, Jesus could have continued just to calm storms and heal people and raise people to life. And that would have been amazing. 
But the disciples, when Jesus leaves and they begin to experience opposition, what are they going to do? And so Jesus, in his wisdom, allows them to experience what he experiences. He allows them to share in his sufferings. This is what Ash Wednesday is all about. On the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It begins a season of Lent for 40 days. Some of you participate in this, some of you don't. But that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. In case you're wondering, it's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That when you put ashes on your forehead, that's a sign of repentance, of mourning. That that Christ suffered, that we will suffer. And so we enter into this time leading up to the victorious resurrection of Easter, remembering Christ's suffering. And that's what he's allowing the disciples to do. Hey, this is what it's going to be like. Hey, some people, they're not going to receive you. What do you do? You shake the dust off your feet. Now, in that day, that was a cultural symbol to say, hey, I did my part. If I'm in your house and I'm proclaiming the gospel to you, you don't receive me, shake the dust off your feet. What Jesus is saying there is don't be shocked by opposition. I'm opposed. You're going to be too. Don't be crushed by opposition either. When people don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. You did your part. Keep going. And see, here's what Jesus knew, and here's what you and I know, is that when we experience opposition, we are shocked by it because we're not prepared by it, for it. And then when we experience it, we're often crushed by it. And we halt. Whatever we were doing, God's called us on mission. We're leading a community group in our home. We're telling people about Jesus at work. And then you experience some opposition, you're like, Maybe I should tone that down. Maybe we should stop sacrificing so much of our money to give it to the kingdom of God and give it to the church because other people are looking at us funny and we don't have the same things that our other kids' friends have and all those type of things. And you're like, maybe we should shift some things. And Jesus knew that about the disciples. Jesus knew that about us. So he says, hey, don't let that stop you. Don't let opposition shock you. Don't let it crush you. Keep going. I don't know how many times as a pastor, I talk to people who shared the gospel with their neighbor and they're like, man, he just, he looked at me funny or he just didn't even say anything or now it's awkward between us. Then they're like, I don't think I'm going to ever do that again. (laughs) Or I don't know how many people I've talked to who they're trying to reconcile with a friend or reconcile with someone at work or a family member and there's deep conflict And they're talking about it, and I'm like, hey, have you ever gone back to them? Have you ever apologized? I mean, out of the gospel, have you ever forgiven them like Jesus has forgiven you? And they're like, man, I I tried that. How many times did you try that? Well, I tried it once, and it didn't go well, so I don't want to do that again. And I don't know how many times we allow, as Christians, we allow opposition to not only shock us, like, what is this happening? But we allow it to crush us. And instead of moving to the next house, shaking the dust off our feet, hey, go back and try again. You tried to reconcile once, hey, go back and try again. Hey, you send them a text, give them a call. You give them a call, write a letter to your mom about that situation. And so many of us, we give up too soon. And Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, don't give up. Hey, keep going. God's called you to a mission. Keep going. Don't be shocked by opposition. And don't be crushed by it either. Keep going. And then our our third point, we see opposition from authority. It switches scenes. You kind of got to pay attention here. We are with Jesus and the disciples. All of a sudden, we switch to King Herod and John the Baptist. Look at the text with me. Verse 14, King Herod starts to hear about Jesus. 
he starts to hear about Jesus doing all these things, and he says, maybe this is John, some, some people say, rather, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's, that's who this guy is. Others say, verse 15, he's Elijah. Others say, he's like a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod hears of this, he says, John the Baptist, I beheaded him. And then you have to pay attention to the sequence. Verse 17, it says, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John. We start to get some backstory. So John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus, proclaimed the way for Jesus to come. John the Baptist has been killed at this point. That King Herod is, is referencing that. But Mark's not, we don't really know why yet. And so Mark's going to tell us, hey, here's how that happened. And we see that in verse 17. Herod sent and seized John, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias. Now, here's where it's about to get really weird. Herodias not only has a similar name to Herod, kind of weird to marry somebody with a similar name to you, more weird to marry your brother's sister, right? more weird to marry your sister-in-law. That's what he does. His brother's wife, Philip, his brother, his wife, he marries her. And John the Baptist, he's in prison, but he gets to engage with King Herod, and, and he speaks up and says, hey, um, Rather, this is before he's in prison. Sorry, a lot of sequence here. Before he's in prison, the reason he goes into prison is John the Baptist is around King Herod and says, hey, bro, it's not cool to marry your brother's wife. Like, stop doing that. It's not lawful to do that. And so he gets put in prison. And because he gets put in prison, because of this marriage, Herod to Herodias, Herodias holds a grudge against him, verse 19 says. She wants him put to death. But verse 20 it says, Herod fears John. He, he knows that he's a righteous and holy man, and so he keeps him safe. He's still in prison, but he keeps him away from his wife. Okay. Then we come to an even weirder scene. Right? It just keeps getting weirder. Verse 21, they hold a banquet. All his nobles are there, King Herod's there, and they invite his sister-in-law, who is now his wife, they invite his, her daughter. You got that? So banquet, everybody's having a good time. Sister-in-law, who's now his wife, his stepdaughter comes in and does a little dance. And they're loving it. And in fact, they're loving it so much that Herod starts to say, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you in verse 22. Whatever you ask of me, I'll give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And so this little girl goes to her mom who has this grudge against Herod and says, hey, I can have whatever I want. What should I give him? And Herodias his wife, who doesn't like John the Baptist, is like, why don't you give him John the Baptist? Why don't you give him his head on a platter? I told you, it gets weird. Okay? And this moment is difficult for Herod because he liked John a little bit. He knew that he was a righteous and holy man. He was keeping him safe. Verse 26, it says, and the king was exceedingly sorry. He didn't want to do this, but in a moment, he flips, he has John the Baptist killed. And we see opposition from above. Now, several takeaways from this. I know that was confusing. Several takeaways, though. The first one is gross, right? I mean, I just, when I read that, I was just like, that's gross. I mean, this is like the original pilot episode of Jerry Springer, right? I mean, it's hard to even talk about because you're like sister-in-law, stepdaughter, dancing, what? Like, what's going on here? The first thing you just see is that, that's, that's just gross. 
The second thing you see is sin makes you do crazy things, right? We saw at least Herod respected John. I'm going to keep him safe. He's going to be in prison, but I'm going to keep him safe. One night of pleasure, one night of debauchery, one night of sin, head on a platter. I kind of like that guy, holy, righteous guy, right? Uh, Give me advice every once in a while, head on a platter. Sin makes you do crazy things. And listen, some of you, you know this. You, you, you start to delve into sin, starts off with a little bit of lust. Just a little bit of lying. Just a little bit of gossip. I like to speak my mind. And then a little bit of sin leads to a lot of sin. And before you know it, you're in captive by that sin. And you start to do some crazy things. And you start to be distant from your family and friends who love you. You start to be distant from your church. You start to get rude to people when they ask you about your sin and your life. Like, who do you think you are? Like, I know what I'm doing. And sin makes you do crazy things. And maybe you don't put somebody's head on a platter. But you begin to drift down a path that's very dangerous and destructive. Because little by little, sin makes you do crazy things. And Herod, even though he liked John, ends up killing John from a night of sinful pleasure. So we talk about grace a lot here, and God's grace is for you, and God's forgiveness is for you, and his acceptance is for you, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that is true for you. But listen, sin is dangerous. Run away from it. Run to Jesus. It makes you do crazy things. And some of you know this. You're thinking about those things in your life, those ways. It started off with just a little party. It started off with just a little lie. And then it led to all these things. You're like, I don't even know how I got here. That's what Herod did. That's the position he is in. The third thing we see is following Jesus has a cost. I read the Religious Freedom Report that was put together in 2008 Uh, It said this, came up with this, that 300 million Christians about, or one out of seven, who live in a country of persecution are subject to violence, arrest, and human rights violations. One out of seven Christians in the world is experiencing some type of persecution, violence, arrest because of just what they believe. You hear these stories every once in a while. You hear stories about somebody who's a Christian who's in prison in another country, and we're trying to get them out and bring them home. It still happens. We don't experience a lot, but it it still happens. But there is a cost to following Jesus. And maybe it's not death, and maybe it's not being arrested, but maybe it's having your pride arrested. Maybe it's having your your life arrested, where you just feel like around your fence, you feel awkward, you feel demeaned, you feel belittled, and you experience the cost of following Jesus. And you see, here's the reality of Scripture. Here's the reality of following Jesus. There is a cost, and not everybody wants to tell you that. There's something called the the prosperity gospel, that you believe in Jesus and everything goes well for you in your life. And there's people that, that preach that and proclaim that. And if we're not careful, we can buy into that and be shocked when it doesn't go that way for us. And listen, just personally, sort of a side note, I don't know how you read the Bible. I guess you just skip this passage and believe I believe Jesus and everything goes well. You just skip chunks of scripture. How do you do that? Right? John, he wasn't just killed, people. His head was served up on a platter. Did he follow Jesus? Did he believe in God? He was a prophet. Head on a platter. Right? So there is a cost. 
And, and, and some people will say, and prosperity gospel will kind of say this, like, hey, but when bad things happen to you, when things don't go well for you financially, physically, emotionally, I mean, that's just God bringing you down the steps so he can bring you right back up again. Right? You heard that? Now listen, that's actually true. Here's the key distinction, the major distinction that they don't tell you and they never read Mark chapter 6. Is that, yeah, God brings you back down, finances are hard, life is tough, sickness gets really bad, and he's going to bring you back up again. But he may not bring you back up again until eternity. John the Baptist died, right? He may not bring you back up again until heaven, but he will bring you back up. They're right. But they leave out that part. <laughs> it may not be till you're with Jesus and you experience being fully known and fully loved in ways that us on earth are still jealous of because you get to be in the presence of God Almighty because of your faith in him. It wasn't until then that John got raised back up again. Right? There's a cost to following Jesus. But, but here's the reality, is there's also a cost to not following Jesus. Herod, he didn't die that night, but he would go on to die. right? To quote the great William Wallace, not every man, come on, help me out here. Every man dies, not every man really lives, right? Or to quote Mel Gibson from the movie Braveheart playing William Wallace. <laughs> right, that, Herod would go on to die. He would die just like John the Baptist. Now it would be many years later, after he had some more time with his, with his uh, sister-in-law who is now his wife. After he had some more time being entertained by his stepdaughter. After he had some more time being consumed with pride and having people do what he wanted them to do, and he would die one day, not that night, he would die one day, but he would die a death void of meaning and purpose. And he would not be raised back to life. And he would not go back up the steps. He would not be with God, his creator. He would not be reunited with him. See, there's a cost to following Jesus. It could be death. And for you, it could be death of your financial Situation. It could be death of that sin. It could be death of that material possession that you're trying to hold on to so fast and tight. It could be death of a relationship that, that is not good for you anymore. And you're like, but th that was my best friend. Yeah, but they're causing you to sin. They're causing you to go down that path of destruction. You need to end that relationship. You can minister to them, but you don't need to be accountability partners with them. And maybe that needs to die because there's a cost of following Jesus. And maybe it's some sort of death. But there's also a cost to not following Jesus. It's just death. It's not a death to life. And so as we look at this, part of our struggle, we see stuff like this. Like, how do we reconcile? John dies. This, why don't we skip these passages, right? There's a cost of following Jesus. It, it is death in some ways but it's also being brought back to life in eternity in the kingdom of God, being with God forever. So this morning, as we look at this, as we look at opposition, sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, right? And I think for some of us, it doesn't make sense because we don't look at texts like these and we don't see, hey, Jesus was opposed, so I shouldn't be shocked when I am. How about I prepare for it? Hey, hey, the disciples, they were opposed. I shouldn't be crushed by it. I should keep going. Hey, even John the Baptist, who, who died because of his faith in Jesus, 
He was brought back to life. There is a greater purpose, even when I can't see it. And so, as you look at your life, are you being opposed? Are are, are there people who are rejecting you? Are you preparing for that? Like Jesus told the disciples, hey, when this happens, it's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. Do you see your life on mission with Jesus, following Jesus? As he was opposed, you're going to be opposed. Do you see that in your life? If you don't, if there's no opposition and everybody likes you, you probably sell ice cream, you're probably not on mission with Jesus, right? If everybody likes you and everybody has good things to say about you all the time, your whole life, you're probably not proclaiming the scandalous gospel of Jesus Christ that people need them, that they don't just need a crutch because they got a broken ankle, they have a broken heart, and they need to be brought from death to life. You tell somebody that, you live that out, some people aren't going to like it. Do you experience that? If not, you need to check yourself a little bit. Am I proclaiming this gospel? Am I practicing this gospel? If you are experiencing that, some of you are like, yes, I experienced that. Preach. Like, I get opposition from my family. They're always getting on me. Like, you go to church, such a good person. And it's, it's so deflating and defeating. How can you prepare for that? Not be crushed by it, but keep going through it. Rely upon Christian brothers and sisters. Rely upon Jesus. You're not alone experiencing opposition. Jesus is with you. The church of Jesus Christ is with you. How are you preparing to go through opposition so you can experience bring brought low and then experiencing life in Jesus? Think about that as we pray. God in heaven, I thank you that you didn't just stay in heaven, but you came to earth to show us what it meant to follow you, to show us what it meant to follow you in the highs and in the lows, the victories and in the sufferings. God, and as we do enter into a season, Ash Wednesday, Lent, whether we participate in in that or not formally, God, that we would know Good Friday, Easter's coming up, this amazing celebration of all that you have done, this amazing victory, but that this season, these 40 days, would be a time we share in your sufferings. We experience some opposition, and we remember you experienced that on our behalf, and that John the Baptist experienced that, and he, he died, and that led to the death of Jesus, but that led to life and salvation and forgiveness and acceptance and an eternity with God for all those who would trust him. And we realize how you're refining us and redeeming our situations through opposition. God, help us to trust you. Help us to follow you even when we're opposed. Help us to be a bold church, a bold believer in you that perseveres despite opposition, that you would bless that, you would bless the men and women in this room. I know there's people in this room who are going through some of this right now. And maybe it's just little questioning, just little doubts. But God, I pray in this moment you would strengthen them by your son Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.